Good morning, guys. So good to be with you today in worship. And day, where's David at? Dude, I'm with you. It's beautiful. Got to be favorite song. Uh, I remember he introduced that on a Wednesday night, and uh, I thought it was kind of cool, the ooh-ooh part. And then it just weaves its way into your heart, and it is an incredible act of worship uh, that we have the privilege of doing today. My name is Wayne Taylor. I'm the uh, senior pastor, and I think that means like as the oldest pastor um, here at Dorisville. And we're so glad to have you. I'm looking at the crowd that's filled in, and we're just so glad that you come. And I really pray that God will give you a really great blessing today as you've come to worship uh, the one who is worthy, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As you see today, the sermon title is, What's in Your Heart? And I want to kind of, you know, have you ever thought about, you know, commercials and advertisements? I mean, companies spend like zillions of dollars. I mean, zillions of dollars come up with catchy slogans and ways to worm it into your heart so that you won't forget. Uh, one of my favorites is one of my favorite companies. I don't mind mentioning because it's Chick-fil-A. And, you know, I'm watching TV the other day and, and you see a window washing thing going up the window. And it gets to a level there and there's a guy eating a hamburger. And, and it flashes to the window, and there is a cow on the window-washing thing. And he holds a sign and says, really, Stephen? And then it holds it and says, eat more chicken. And, and, you know, it's like we know Chick-fil-A, their catch is what? Eat more chicken. And they use a spotted cow to convey that, and we instantly know exactly what they're talking about. A, a, a credit card company has come up with this campaign that asks the question, what's in your wallet? And they have, used, they have used Vikings. They have used an actor that rides on a conveyor belt and, and the baggage thing. They have used an 18-month-old little girl who doesn't want 50% more money back to convey the message, what's in your wallet? We all know those commercials, and it's a wide spectrum of them. And, and here's the crazy part. It just worms our way in. We know what's in your wallet. And according, you know, the, the credit card company wants you to believe and understand that it really, the most important thing is life. in life is that you have the right credit card in your wallet. And, and some of you would say, you know, no, Dwayne, no, no, no. It's not a credit card. It's, it's little pieces of paper with dead presidents on it. And that's what really, really, really matters in life is that you have lots of dead presidents either in your checking account or you have them in your wallet. And, you know, a lot of people believe that. They, they, they make the game of life into amassing wealth, amassing stuff. And, and for some of you, it's not that at all. It's prestige and power. It's making a name for yourself. For some of you students at the high school, to be named on the student council or, or to be the drum major or to be the quarterback or the head cheerleader, that's really what it's all about. You know, we all have different things that we weigh in as way, way, way important. And a guy named Solomon, who lived like 500 years before Jesus Christ, came up with something like totally different. And he said, you know what? It really doesn't matter what's in your wallet. But it does matter what's in your heart. What's in your heart? You know, Solomon, again, argumentatively, at least in the Bible we know it's true, argumentatively the, the most intelligent, the smartest, the most wise man in the world said this. He said, guard your heart above everything else because it determines the course of your life. In other words, whatever is in your heart, the core values, the way you see things, determines how you are going to live your life. And, and Jesus kind of went along with that. You know, in his great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he said this, where your treasure is, 
there your heart will be also. In other words, your heart follows the things that are really, really important in life. So we ask the question today, what's in your heart? What is in your heart? What, 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 really, what really matters to you and your core values and the way you see and the way you do life? You know, we, we call that really a worldview. Everyone here today has a worldview. And, and a worldview is the lens we look through at the world that colors and shapes how we do life. And I know, and you know, that whatever we talk about in our heart is through that lens. And if we don't have the right worldview, it changes everything. Again, if our, if our worldview is to pursue power or wealth or pleasure, if our worldview is to have fame and prestige, it drives us. And, and we know from the world... Gosh, do, do a Google search of famous people who've committed suicide. I, I, I really want to get it somehow. I was watching, and I don't, I'm not, okay, I'm going to confess something. I'm just not a big fan of Christian television. I'm just not. There's too much plastic. Way too much. Some of y'all got too much plastic in your wallet, and sometimes Christian TV has way too much plastic also. But, but it happened to be the 700 Club, and they were doing interviews of some of the pictures um, in the San Francisco Giants. And what about that? And by the way, what about Notre Dame? Hello? <laughs> anyway, so, so they were doing these interviews. Brent, you've got to get a hold of this. And, and so I, I found it when it was going to be showed again so I could record it, but I don't know how to get it off my DVR. But particularly two of the pictures gave the most outstanding testimony of Jesus Christ I have ever heard. And the last guy, the, the one was Blum, Bumgarner. I got that name. And the other one started with an A. And I can't remember his name. But he, man, he's going, he goes, you know, he goes, in this game, you can amass money, you can amass wealth, uh, fame, and prestige. And, and, and guys go after that. And we've seen, I have, I have seen the emptiness of that. He said, the only thing that, now listen, this is so cool. The only thing that really matters in life is Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ. I do not know how I can function without him. If you can find that episode of Seminary Club, I've got recorded. If I can grab it, get off my DVR, we'll show it in church. That's how powerful it was. It's very obvious that this guy, whose worldview went through the lens of Jesus Christ. Now, now what we want to talk about today is worldview from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. I'll be using the English Standard Version um, of the Bible. Now, now, Titus was written by Paul to a guy named... Judy got it. Come on, I want y'all in on the game, okay? So Paul wrote a guy named Titus, and, and he wrote, now here's the deal. Titus wasn't a pastor. Titus was like a, a, a colleague of Paul, okay? And what had happened was, they think, is that a bunch of the Cretan guys who were Jews went to Pentecost. And they saw Pentecost happen, and you know, they heard their language in their own tongues, and the best way they knew how, they received Christ as their Savior. And they went back to Crete and started all these little churches. There were no major cities, a bunch of little churches all up and down the Christian coast. Okay? And so what happened was, because they had the Jewish influence and all that going on, they really got some twisted stuff going on. Like, like some, of the, some of the believers said, you've got to have surgery before, if you're a guy, you've got to have surgery before you can be a believer. You know, you've got to have a circumcision before you can be a believer. And, and so Paul and Titus went back there, and, and Titus was left behind by Paul to, to watch out, to, to kind of keep watch over the ship. And Paul went on. And then Paul wrote a letter back to Titus to encourage him 
Because, you know, Crete was a tough place. Listen to what, listen to what Paul writes in chapter 1 of, of uh, Titus. Talking about the Cretans. One of them, a prophet of his own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. <laughs> Talking about a rough congregation to, to minister to and a rough society to reach, it would be these guys. And he goes on and says this. Therefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in their faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. So Titus is in this really difficult situation, and Paul encourages him to teach them a new world view. Let's read together. Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. Here's what it says. This is so good. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation... For all people. The grace of God has appeared. Now he's talking about, obviously, the epiphany, the appearing, of the first appearing of Jesus Christ. He's talking about the whole picture. He's talking about when Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. Born like no other child. Who, and I was talking with Faith about this. And she knew. And, and the fact was that, that all of Jesus' brothers and sisters had Joseph as the dad and Mother Mary as the mom. But the oldest son, Jesus, is different. Because the Bible teaches, and we believe, that Mary was his mom, but God himself was the father. He was born of a virgin. And because of that, he was born without simple nature. He was born God in the flesh. And he lived this incredible, sinless life where he touched the lives of people. And then, on schedule and on time, Galatians chapter 4 says this, In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, Born of a woman, born under the law. And so at the right time, when he was 33 years old, he had an appointment in Jerusalem. And, and the, God used the Romans, and, and the Jews were the instigators, the planners. But it was all God's plan. And the Son of God was nailed to the cross. And he was nailed to the cross for one purpose, because the wages of sin was death. And, and he took the penalty of God's wrath, and he paid the price that people like me and you could have forgiveness of sin. And then they buried him. And just to prove he was God, he didn't stay dead. Now, that's just incredible. He did not stay dead. On the third day, he resurrected, and he lives even now forever and ever. And this wasn't a big secret. Hundreds of people saw Jesus Christ while he walked those 40 days on the earth. It's just an incredible story. And the grace of God, the Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So, so Paul is telling Titus, listen, the grace of God, Jesus Christ has appeared to us. And he's talking about the whole picture. You know, I got an iPhone. I really still feel like a traitor. I just, I kind of hide it sometimes. You know, I, I go to Best Buy and talk to my guys down there that you know, I bought several phones from them. And they'll say, so you went with Apple? What's up with you, you know? I really feel like a traitor. I kind of went from like a Baptist to a Presbyterian or something. It's just really weird. But you know one of the cool features of the new iPhone? It's called the panoramic view. And what I could do is this. Charlie, I could start here and match the button and go all the way across here like this, keeping the button down, go all the way across here and lift the button up, and that silly phone slash camera will take the whole picture and make it one big long photograph of the entire congregation. How cool is that? It would get the 
whole picture. And, and when Paul says that the grace of God has appeared, he's saying, I want you to see the whole picture. That God has made, become flesh, he's lived, he's died, he's resurrected. It is an incredible, incredible truth. And watch this. The reason he came was to bring salvation for all people. Wow. Wow. Now, that doesn't mean universal salvation. It doesn't mean because you're born a human that you get to go to heaven. But it does mean that he provided a way that any man, woman, or child, any student could come into relationship with God. And it's so cool because he really doesn't care what your skin color is. He doesn't. He doesn't care what part of town you live in. He doesn't care the label of your shirt or the make and model of your car. In fact, what's really cool is, you, some of you would sit here today or maybe you're listening on the radio and go, the reason I'm not at church today, the reason I'm listening on the radio is because I, I am to, uh, totally unworthy to even walk into church. I am, I am the biggest sinner there is. I've got news for you. That the grace of God is sufficient for your sin. And, and, that, and that Jesus came for people just like you. He even, he even came for people who said, you know, I'm pretty good. You know, he came for all men. But it's an individual decision that each one of us has to make. So, so the big news is, is that the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people. But it gets even richer. Watch this. You don't really see the grace referred to as the grace of God appearing. As an epiphany, as in Jesus Christ. Nor do you see the grace of God mentioned this way. Look what it says in verse number 12. Training us to do something. Training us, being a schoolmaster, a teacher, to renounce, teaching us to, re, to uh, train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. Now, when you receive Jesus Christ, you enrolled in the school of grace. And when grace is fully understood, it will impact our behavior. Now, we want rules for rules' sake. But when you understand, when you truly understand that, that you didn't deserve it, and that God's, by God's grace, Christ died, and by God's grace, any man, woman, or child can come into relationship with Him, that will definitely impact your behavior. How could you experience a marvelous gift like God's grace and it not change you? Come on now. I mean, it's such an incredible, incredible thing. Grace is a great teacher. In fact, it's really cool. You remember a story that Jesus told? And it's a parable, you know, which means the story wasn't true, that Jesus made it up to teach something. And so what happens is, is that Jesus tells this story about this guy who was incredibly wealthy, and he had a person who owed him literally millions of dollars. And the man couldn't pay. And the guy calls him in and says, okay, because you can't pay, I'm throwing you in jail. I'm going to sell your wife. I'm going to sell your children. I'm going to sell everything you've got. And the man said, please don't do that. Please don't do that. I promise you I'll pay you. And incredibly, the guy showed grace and forgave the guy. Now, I promise you built into that was the concept, because you've experienced grace, you should show grace. But guess what happens? The dude goes out, the guy goes out and finds a guy who owns him five bucks. Or a little bit of money. Takes him by the throat and shakes him and says, When are you going to pay me your money? And has the guy thrown in jail. Well, the word gets out back to the rich guy. And says, The guy that you forgave, 
He's thrown the guy in jail. So they bring the dude back and said, man, you are going to jail and you're going to stay there. And the reason why was he was expected to learn something and didn't learn it. God, because we experienced his grace, God expects us to show grace. In fact, in Ephesians, Paul said this, as Christ has forgiven you, what are you supposed to do? Forgive others. Forgive others. See, that's why the word training is so important there. Grace is a trainer to teach us how to live godly lives, just like it says. Grace is a wonderful teacher if we'll fully understand what grace is all about. It's, you know, those little words, grace is God's unmerited favor. Yes, when God extends what we do not deserve. But that's like saying God is holy. We can't get our arms around it. And we need to spend our lives fully understanding the power and the wonder of God's amazing grace. And it will impact our behavior as we do. So, so training us to, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, that's a negative, isn't it? Anything that's ungodly, anything that God's against, teaching us to renounce that. And, and, and worldly passions. Everything that the world tries to sell us, we're to renounce those things. Grace teaches us to renounce those things. Okay? But also, a positive, it says this, to have to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now, let me ask you a question. If you have a car, do you have a car? Do you have a battery in your car? Okay. What happens if you only have the positive attached to the battery? Let me tell you. Nothing. What if you just have the negative attached and not the positive? What happens? Nothing. Assuming the battery is good, what happens when you attach the positive and the negative? Power! Power! And grace knows that as we renounce the things that are evil to God and embrace the things that are good, there is power in our lives. Paul is teaching Titus, tell these Cretan folks that they need to have a worldview that's seen through God's amazing grace. I'm telling you, if all you have in your Christianity is rules, it'll, it'll, it'll weaken you and depress you and fill you with guilt. But if you will center on God's grace and look the amazing lens of God's grace, it will impact your behavior. And you'll find yourself rejecting those things that are godless, rejecting those things that are passionate. I've got to take a time to read this verse. We're doing count time. Listen to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Do not love the world. Or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of our Father abides forever. If you want to know, well, Dwayne, what's what's this worldly stuff? Well, the worldly stuff would be just exactly what John said there when he said the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Those are the things that grace says turn away from. But we are to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. That's what grace teaches us. A negative and a positive, and together there is power in that. That should be part of our world view. But it doesn't even stop there. In fact, is Becca here? Is she in the back? Well, she would, she, would, she would get on to Paul. Because verse 11, 12, 13, and 14 are all one long sentence. She would look at him and say, 
in my English class, I would tell you, because she's a high school English teacher, she would tell you, your sentences are way too long. But it's so cool because it ties all this thought together. Okay? So here we go. It says this. Train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so he's telling us, while we're living here in this present age, we're to wait for the blessed hope. Who? The appearing, the second epiphany, the second appearing of Jesus Christ. Now, this is really cool. This is really good. Watch this. One, while we're this waiting thing is a hope and a purpose. We wait. This word hope is a noun. We're waiting for the hope. And who's the hope? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is coming back again. Come on now. Here we go. Jesus Christ is coming back again. And that's what's so incredible. Listen to this. You know, is, is your life hard sometimes? Come on. The sickness thing, we were in the bathroom. And Vern and I were having this conversation. You know, we were talking about how it's, it's not too much fun getting old. I remember old bro Brent sitting in his chair one day, in his bear's chair, and said, this growing old is no fun. And I say, ten years older than you, buddy, you aren't kidding me. I mean, I, I do the thing, I, I don't know why I started it, but I started like getting on the floor to pray. Like, you know, prostate? Prostrate. <sighs> well, forget the rest of the sermon, there it goes. <laughs> David's already on Facebook back there going, you should have heard it at Dorsville. <laughs> I, I lay out on the floor. And you ought to hear me. I mean, you think I'm in a flock fire, you know, with the logs cracking and creaking. I'm going, oh, oh, to get down the floor to pray. I mean, getting old is hard. Life is very difficult. But listen, for the believer in Jesus Christ, please say, for the believer in Jesus Christ. The Word is, the blessed hope is, there's something better coming. This ain't all she wrote. This is not all she wrote. There's something better coming. Now listen, why that's so important is, if, if cancer's got you, if, if depression's got you, if, if a broken marriage has got you, if hurtful relationships has got you, if, if, if it seems like sin's got you, we have victory with sin, I know, but sometimes it's like, it seems like sin's gets the victory. There's something better coming. And it is Jesus Christ, our blessed hope. You wait in confidence because it's a noun. It's a noun. Jesus Christ is coming back. But while we're waiting, you can do lots of things, you know, while you're waiting. If you've ever been to the doctor's office, waiting gets very creative. You read all the magazines. Then you get out your U version on your iPhone and read from Genesis to Revelation. And two hours after that, they say, Dr. So-and-so, we'll see you now. Now, lawyers aren't like that, are they, Mike? You guys are prompt. Okay? So, so, so you know, that just, listen, we get creative our waiting, but we've got a purpose. Not only do we have a hope, it's going to get better. We've got a purpose. And that purpose is a task to do. Listen to this. Listen to this. But, beloved, Peter writing, do not forget this one thing. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years. And a thousand years as a day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness. Because you're going, when's it coming? 
But he's long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The gospel's not done yet. There are still people groups that need to hear the gospel. There are still people who need to hear the gospel. Jesus has a reason that he has not come yet, and it's the gospel. That's why we need to be busy about those of you who say, I wish Jesus would come back. Let me help you. Let's be soul winners. Let's make sure that Doorsville remains a soul-saving station. When people walk in those doors, those doors, those doors, those doors, they come in here and every single week they hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and, and when we're out in our communities and on the job or at school, guys, wherever we might be, we listen for open doors. When guys say, my life is falling apart, I don't know what I'm going to do, the doctor said cancer, these are all open doors for you to share the hope of Jesus Christ with people who desperately need it. Keep waiting in confidence. But while you're waiting, don't squander the time. In fact, Paul said, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Look for opportunities to lead others to Jesus Christ. And then, oh, verse number 14. This thing's just so rich. The last part of this big, long sentence. Who, talking about Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us. Who gave himself on a Roman cross, right here, on a Roman cross, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. This is huge. You know the term redeem means to buy back, to pay the price. There's a price that needs to be paid because of our sin. And Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe that song. It's really incredible. But here's what I want you to get. In spite of Psalm 139. Which says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. In spite of that, you need to understand something. You are redeemable because God said you were redeemable. You're not redeemable, Joe, because you're a studly looking dude. You're, you're not redeemable because of all your magnificent qualities. That somehow God couldn't get along without you because of what you bring to the table. You are redeemable and God offered redemption because He deemed you valuable. The value is all on God's side. It's not what we bring to God. Come on, don't, come on, come on, go. Don't we sometimes just say, oh God, you are like so blessed that I'm on your team. Come on, come on, come on. Don't you sometimes sit there and say, the church can't go on without my offering. The kingdom would surely fold if I didn't make it to church on Sunday mornings. No. We've got nothing to bring to the table. We are redeemable because God deemed us redeemable. You know, my hand. I've got a wedding band. And, and we went downhill. When I got married, I got a gold band that my dad was married in. I'll tell you about that story sometime here. Some other brother was promised it, and I got it. Bad deal. But anyway, so I, I he goes, are you going to give me the wedding band? I said, dude, I was married in the wedding band. I'm going to give you my wedding band. And that's another story. I'll tell you another story. So I started out with that. Then, somewhere along the road, Pooter bought me a new wedding band. It had a diamond in it. And at least, it was at least a quarter carat wedding. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, like, where's the diamond? I mean, it was pretty good size. And then somewhere along Africa way, 
who'd bought a, a sterling band in Africa and took off her diamond wedding band and started wearing her little silver band. Well, one day we're at Lifeway. Do you remember this? Yeah, we're at Lifeway. And Sarah, I think you're with us. And we're sitting there, and on the clearance table was a selection of silver wedding bands. And this particular one has Philippians uh, 1, 3, is it? Is that right? I think that's right. Um, I, no, 113. I, let's see. I thank God upon every remembrance of you. And on a whim, I picked it up, and it fit. I said, Pooh, why don't you buy me this for a new wedding band? Then we'll, like, match. We'll both have silver. And so we did. Now, it cost, like, like $27. It was a good deal. And silver, it's not even gold or platinum. And if you were to, if you were to walk, Jess, if you'd be walking to Walmart and you see this laying on the floor, you might say, oh, I'll get that my, you know, my brother or my sister. You know? uh, or if you have a kid like you know, 12 years old, you'd look at this and say, it's not valuable. I mean, come on, it's silver. And you'd give it to your kid to play with. Ask me what I think of it. It is so valuable to me. It is so valuable because it represents the love between a man and a woman. It represents a commitment, a covenant in marriage to us. And those words, I thank God upon every remembrance of you, the woman means it. And to me, it is incredibly valuable. I put the value on it. You wouldn't. That's why you are with your salvation. God counted you redeemable because of the value He put on you. And that should make you feel really, really good. Really good. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever leads Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Wow. For, for He gave Himself to redeem us, watch, from lawlessness, from living outside the law, from being bandits, from, from being lawless people, and to purify, to make us pure, and that's only something God could have done. He made us sanctified. Okay, I know it's a churchy word. Okay, he made us pure for himself, a people for his own possession, who are zealous of good works. Two things here. Made for himself a people. If you are a Christ follower, if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you come to a point where you acknowledge that you are sending this holy God and you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you receive that into yourself and you have made a commitment to Jesus Christ, you, are you ready, belong to God. Oh, come on. Y'all Baptists, y'all get a hold of that. You belong to God. Now, and he's not sitting in heaven going, oh, I had to let Daniel. I, I had to let him in. He prayed that prayer. I got to let him in. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. God wants me, loves me, likes me, counts me as one of His children. Not because I thought I was redeemable, but because He thought I was redeemable. Now, let me tell you a great truth I learned. That's not true. I'm learning it. In a few moments, I'm going to get down off the stage. And I'm going to stand back at the door, and some of y'all are going to say nothing. And some of you are going to say, that was a good preacher sermon. Sermon preacher. Sermon preacher. Yeah. So, and I'll go home and I'll say, well, let's see. More people said yes than no, so I must have done okay. Guess what? I'm going to step off the stage. I don't even have to look at God and say, God, what do you think? 
Because this old preacher boy, because I've been redeemed and blood-bought, this old preacher boy stands approved in the beloved. And my failures, my sloppy preaching, my misuse of grammar, uh, my, my when I fall flat in the mud pole, nothing can change the fact that I am accepted in the blood. I'm proved, and so are you. And so are you. Woo, son. Now, you're talking about good news. That's good news. So when you fail tomorrow, don't think God's up there going, Mm-mm-mm. should never let him in the family. I knew it. He was a black sheep from the beginning. He's going to be a black. No, he's up there going, I love you. I love you. I love you. And nothing can change that. And that's the power of the cross. That's the power of Jesus Christ. Wow. May it's a people of his own. And because of that, who are zealous for good works. We want to do the good works. Not turn his favor. Not so he'll wink at us and go thumbs up. But because of grace. Because of what he's done. That should be our worldview. And I'm telling you, when that becomes our worldview and we start living this authentic Christianity based on God's grace and because of God's grace, then verse number 15. This is why Paul said to Titus, declare these things. What he just said. Declare these things. Make them known. He said, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. See, the church is being disregarded by the world. Because they've seen too much non-authentic lives. As we experience God's grace, believe God's grace, get in God's grace, a school of grace, understand God's grace, and it impacts our behavior, if we become more and more authentic, the world will say this, Liz, I want what you got. Whitey, I want what you've got. Bruce, I want what you've got. Hey, Mike, I want what you've got. We will never impress the world because we go to church three times a week. We'll not impress the world. But when we are authentic Christians, experiencing God's grace, living out God's grace, it grabs the world's attention. And they say, we want that. So Titus is encouraged. Declare these things. Tell them these things. Exhort them. Rebuke them with all authority. Don't let them disregard you. Don't disregard these wonderful truths today. Embrace these wonderful truths. Look at the world through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The amazing grace of Jesus Christ. Not what you wish God would do for you, but what God has already done for you. Look through that. And it will radically, radically change your walk with Christ and your witness in this world. Would you bow your heads right there, please? Every week we have a, a time of decision. I asked my brother Brent to come stand forward in just a moment. And we truly believe, we truly believe that Jesus Christ is all He said He was and is. He really can impact lives and change lives. We believe historically and factually, that He is the Son of God. And we believe that the greatest thing is not what's in your wallet, but who's in your heart. And that who needs to be Jesus Christ. It's not about keeping rules. It's not how you go to church. It's not the label you pin on with your Baptist or Presbyterian or Pentecostal 
Uh, that's man's invention, not God's anyway. But it is, you're acknowledging that you've sinned against holy God, believing that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and believing that by faith, if you ask God to forgive you and you turn from your sin, you can come in relationship with Him. Now, I know we've got a great crowd today and a lot of people here, but every head's going to be bowed in just a few moments. And Brent will be waiting down here for one reason, for you to come and say, I want to know how I can have my sins forgiven, how I can experience God's amazing grace. And we've got some friends who will pray with you. And for you, that may be too hard. That's cool. understand that. We'll be standing around after the service. We'll be glad to talk with you. It, can only, it, do, it doesn't just happen at this place. we just got some folks who can answer questions here. That's all. But we can also do that after church. But we want you to know God loves you. And Jesus died for you. And you can have a whole different life here and in heaven based on what Jesus Christ did. Now, it goes a little bit further than that. Perhaps you're here today and you've trusted Christ but you've never been baptized. Baptism has nothing to do with going to heaven, but it is a way to be obedient to Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. It's important. It's a witness to a community of believers that you trusted Christ. If you'd like to know more about baptism, Brent can answer those questions for you also. And we've been blessed over the last few weeks to have folks who say, you know what, I'd like to join the family at Dorsville Baptist Church. This is where I want to serve the kingdom. And Brother Brent will be standing down front here. Come and say, Brent, I'd like to know how I can become an official member of the Dorsville Baptist Church. And we would love to share with you about that. But there's one more large chunk, isn't there? What about all us believers here today who have a slightly different worldview than what the Bible teaches? What about that? Well, that's your opportunity also. And you can make your altar right there or come down front. It doesn't matter. But right there, you can say, okay, God, I know you feel this way about something and I feel this way. I need to get on the same page as you. Now, not going to be a compromise. Like, how about we meet 50-50? Now, you're going to find out it's God's gig all the way. But maybe some things in your life that you're understanding now that God says, that's wrong. And you're doing it. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not living out the full grace that God wants you to live out. You're still in the school of training with grace. Then perhaps today's the day. Say, okay, God, I acknowledge that. I turn from it. I'm coming home to you. We can help you with that. You can make a decision right there. The important thing is, is to be authentic in your worldview through the Word of God, through God's grace. One, for the happiness that will find you in life, in eternal life. But two, for the impact we can make in this world. This is your decision time. We provide it. So you can make a decision as you need to. Father, thank you for the very high privilege of sharing your word today. Thanks for God's amazing grace. Thank you for an incredible Savior named Jesus. Thank you that you love us the way that you do. Thank you that any person uh, who's trusted Christ can stand approved and the beloved. Thanks for that. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen.